I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. This is part two of a conversation I had with Farhana Nakuda. Please check out the first episode if you haven't heard it yet for more about her background as a healthcare executive working across Asia-Pacific. Welcome back, Farhana. Thanks a lot, Tony. Great to be back. Now let's pick up on a conversation regarding population health. To me, the population health technologies come together when we have good systems for inputs, clinical and process analytics, and actionable outputs. And one of the things that stands out to me from your experience is how you've worked in partnership with two of the most important stakeholders to bring this population health solution and system to life, governments and hospital systems. Now, getting started, because you and I both know, can sometimes be a challenge, but success can really be rewarding. I'm curious if you could talk about a success story where you've seen all the parts come together in the right way, where you brought together the right people and everyone felt the partnership experience made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the the very first projects that I felt was a big success was a project that we did in Melbourne, Australia. It was in my first couple of years in IBM. And it was interesting because I just talked about personalized medicine a bit earlier and how we were so far ahead of the game. But What was interesting is that when we went to Melbourne, we worked with a hospital group called Melbourne Health, which included four different hospitals. And when we went to talk to them, and we talked primarily to their clinicians about the fact that, you know, what would be very interesting to do, and this was really in, I'm talking almost 2003-ish timeframe, so this was a long time ago, It would be very interesting to be able to look across multiple hospitals at larger populations to do things like clinical research. So, for example, if I wanted to just say, show me all the patients that are 30 to 35 that have had a particular disease, right? And and I want to basically identify that group to do a larger study on them as a clinical researcher. And then eventually, you know, if you were saying, say, cancer, Perhaps we also had some of their genetic data. What, what could we do? And we had a very, very strong CEO of Melbourne Health who was looking across these four hospitals. And, you know, he said, you know what? I would love to basically be able to do that and start consolidating data because, you know, hospitals tend to kind of focus on their own patient data. And this concept of data sharing is not very common. And, you know, people are sometimes tend to get a little bit protective, but also, you know, there's security reasons, et cetera. So we said, look, you know, I mean, we understand that there are some issues around this. However, if we could create a platform that allows you to actually federate the data, so keep the data where it is, but be able to query the data across the four health systems in an anonymized fashion that would allow you to improve and and, and this would help clinical researchers to publish more papers, et cetera, you know, this would be fantastic because you could start understanding more about healthcare and what creates better health outcomes. And what we did, which was very interesting, is that this was government, of course. So as you said, it's sometimes a challenge. 
But what we did is we actually helped them write the business case to get the funding to do this project. So, you know, we had to give them all the ammunition to basically say why this would benefit Victoria, why this would benefit Melbourne and all the various stakeholders that would benefit, meaning the government, you know, would basically potentially be able to create new jobs because this would be a new area of interest for people to start looking at data across larger groups. And then also it would be great for the doctors themselves and the clinical researchers to publish more papers and get out there in the journals and learn more about the population. And ultimately it would improve patients' lives, right? Because you're studying diseases across a larger community and a larger population. And so we ended up getting the funding and we ended up winning that project. And what became really amazing is that that still exists today. It became what's known now as the BioGrid and it's still there and they've got so many more hospitals on board. And I still remember, honestly, the day that we went in and pitched this idea and it was kind of a wild idea, but, you know, the fact that it's still up and running, I I'm very excited for Melbourne and, you know, our original team that kind of started this whole project. (laughs) Well, that's exciting. Well, belated congrats. And that's nice to see that uh, something has had such longevity. And I guess it's also a good lead into what you currently do today, dealing with very similar customer problems. You you shared with me once how strong the IBM alumni is and how hard (laughs) it might be to leave something which is so familiar and impactful Tell us a bit about why did you decide on making the change to Health Catalyst? What what uh, excited you about the opportunity? Yeah, so I mean, it's again, I think IBM, like you said, was just a fun. It, it is. It's a phenomenal company. I mean, I had eighteen fantastic years there, where I think I learned so much. But you know, I'd been there pretty well since I left medical research, and I thought, well. If I'm going to do something different, it's time to do it now. Otherwise, I'm just going to end up retiring from IBM. And it just so happened that a good friend of mine had actually posted on on Facebook about a billion dollar unicorn that had just, you know, was going for IPO. And I started looking into this company. And, you know, when I understood what Health Catalyst does and what Health Catalyst does is they're a, a data driven outcome improvement company. So what they do is they take data from health systems, clinical, administrative, operational data. They integrate that data into their platform. So they have something called the data operating system. And they use that data to basically identify opportunities to improve access, cut cost, or improve quality. And if you're a private hospital, even increase revenue. And I looked at this and I just thought, you know, I have met healthcare clients all over Asia Pacific for the last 18 years, and this solution is missing in Asia Pacific. I mean, most hospitals were looking at using data for maybe some clinical research projects, which are very niche, or really for an internal or external reporting purposes, right? So just pure reporting. But I hadn't seen any hospital really using data in this respect, which was really to identify real opportunities to save lives and improve outcomes from an enterprise-wide perspective. And so it wasn't an easy decision by any means, but, you know, when I heard more and more about Health Catalyst and I met their team, and honestly, it is probably one of the most mission-driven companies I've ever seen. And if you have an opportunity to look at Glassdoor on Health Catalyst, you should, because it is quite phenomenal because the people there all come from healthcare. 
They're all true believers in improving lives and, and improving outcomes. And that has always been my passion my whole life. I've, from the time I could speak, according to my parents, I was talking about <laughs> going into healthcare. And to me, you know, this company is a healthcare company, right? That's what their focus is, yeah. is improving lives. And so I joined them basically because I wanted a new challenge, a new opportunity. And I really felt like this was a niche area that was completely missing in the market in Asia. Well, that's a fantastic story. And I have to agree with you having met uh, many of your colleagues from around the world. It is a fantastic group of people. And uh, for those of you not familiar with Health Catalyst, I think one of the things that stands out as a company is how uh, when it comes time for compensating individuals for their performance, uh, everyone's incentives are aligned to improving health outcomes for your customers. And that's when everybody wins is at, at the corporate level, at the partnership level, and at the individual level. And I think that's special because you know, everybody really believes that um, that's the right way to approach working Absolutely. in this particular area of healthcare. And it's just wonderful to see. And you know, one of the things about Asia Pacific is it has its challenges when it comes to data. And you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the population health approach. And as you and I have talked about, given my background, I think that there's many stakeholders that can be part of this broader view of population health that expands on what's happened in health systems, in hospitals, and takes it to other types of stakeholders, whether that gets insurers involved or employers. And talk a bit about the data challenge in Asia Pacific. You've seen many health systems. So where are we today as a region? And that's a big question. And then maybe point to one place where data is really coming together in a good way. Yeah. So again, you know, if you look at data across Asia Pacific, right, you're really, as you rightly said at the beginning, you're really looking at multiple markets, right? I mean, you said that when you think of Asia Pacific, you think of, you know, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. So when I look at data and I kind of compare maturity levels across the region, the first place I'd start is let's go with the most advanced, which would be the developed markets, right? So if I take, say, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, and even Korea, you know, they've gone down the digitization path already. They've already put in place medical record systems. They have back-end ERP systems, billing systems, lab systems. And so that's a big step, right? Because they're already generating data. But where the challenge in lies is then what are they doing with that data and is the data usable? And so some of the challenges that they have in place is, is looking at things like data governance or data stewardship and ensuring that, first of all, is the data collection being done the same across, right? Because once you start aggregating data, you need to be comparing apples to apples. And if everybody is pulling in data in a different way, you know, you need to actually be able to pull that data and standardize it, right, as, as in order to use it. And so data quality becomes a challenge, an issue, but it's addressable, absolutely. And again, when you look at those markets, a lot of the data is really being used primarily for things like clinical research, which would be niche projects that, say, a clinician and his team is working on, or maybe a small group or collaborators are working on or they're using the data for internal reporting or external reporting. But again, you don't see people really using it, as I said, as a way to aggregate data across the whole organization and use it to improve insights. So that's the developed markets. Now, when you go developing, 
you really still have hospitals that are purely manual today, right? A lot of them are still doing paper-based, right? And so one of their challenges is, you know, if I went to say a hospital in Indonesia and I said, hey, you know, we'd like to collect your data and start analyzing it, they'd be be my guest. Here's my paper records and, you know, and you're, you're welcome to use it. So, so, you know, that's a very different problem altogether. But again, what's changing things, which is exciting is there's a lot of digital health companies, as you know, right, that are starting to quickly, you know, help these hospitals leapfrog and go into a digital platform very quickly, where over time, these things will become digital. But again, in the developing markets, I think, you know, we always talk about the fact that even with basic billing data, and the one thing that's kind of interesting is that every hospital in Asia, I would say, would at least have their billing digital just because they need to get paid. And so that's yeah. always the starting point is that even if you have billing data, we can already start to identify opportunities for improvement, but it takes time. So you asked me the question about, you know, Could you name one country or one organization that has really got the data equation right? And I think, you know, I have to give a lot of kudos to Singapore in terms of a country that has really put a lot of effort in digitizing their systems and ensuring that the data is is basically being collected and aggregated. Because I think they're going down this journey of data-driven outcome improvement, but all the fundamentals are there. I mean, they have government support. The government is actually very focused on leveraging data to improve outcomes. I mean, that's one of their their biggest focus areas. In fact, the idea of democratization of data is something good. But as you're aware, there have been cyber breaches across the region. And, you know, there's a lot of fear about those kinds of things. So they have to go about it as Singapore does very cautiously, which I totally respect. Right. So they're they're basically going down this path and they're certainly taking the right steps towards, you know, moving towards a data-driven approach to improvement of health. But as I said, I think they're going to do it at a pace that's comfortable, that gives, you know, not only themselves confidence, but the public and patients confidence that it's all being done in a very secure way that's not going to compromise anybody as well moving forward. It's truly special to see how much initiative has been taken to be proactive about putting data systems in place because it's been a really big decision, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's expensive. You're changing behavior of people who may not want to go down that path. And it's exciting also to see that it's happening, not just at the hospital level, speaking about Singapore specifically, but you know, st- starting to take place at the uh, general practitioners and you know, trying to get other stakeholders to really be plugged into that same sense of having a digital repository that can be used in a data and privacy safe way to help across stakeholders. Yeah. Um, so that's a you know transition that we're we're seeing. So you know I think we're coming up on time here for the conversation about what's happening with Health Catalyst. Curious to get uh, your views as to the you know, next two to four years. What does it look like for you to see in this mission-based environment that you're in uh, for Health Catalyst to have made a difference? What's uh, your views for these next couple of years? Yeah, so I think my dream is that in the next four or five years onwards that, you know, at least in the more developed markets and slowly in the developing markets, that every decision that's made in healthcare is done with data, right? Is done with a Mm. data-driven approach. Because if you think about it, 
I would much rather go to a hospital where I know that doctors have data to leverage to make better decisions, right? And to me, you know, my vision and what I would love to see is a lot of healthcare systems leveraging their data to improve their outcomes and cutting costs significantly so that it does a number of things. One is it makes sure that patients don't have to keep paying more and more and more, right? You know, and the higher the government GDP spend on healthcare increases, that comes down to citizens, right? And the better the outcome are for patients, you know, the better everybody is, right? The quality of life improves, et cetera. So to me, the value equation is very simple, right? It's really about improving quality at a lower cost and getting better care outcomes, right? And improving access as well. So if my vision, my real mission and vision over the next two to four years is to start down this path, I don't expect that we're going to hit every single you know, hospital out there. But at least if we can, you know, get to a lot of the big um, markets that can actually use this kind of data um, driven outcome improvement work to improve and save lives. I mean, to me, that would be phenomenal, right? Because I mean, the beauty about this business is it's a win-win, right? Yes, it's a business. And of course, we're a company and we have a commercial business. But The reality is that, you know, honestly, for the amount of money that's being spent on this, the returns are just so much higher, right? I mean, some of our customers like Alina Healthcare, you know, they're the size of Singapore and we're saving them 125 million US dollars a year in data-driven outcome improvement, right? Now you can imagine taking that to other countries and saying, well, you know, Indonesia is moving to universal healthcare and Vietnam's moving to universal healthcare. So they're all needing to do more, get better outcomes at a fixed budget. And I would love to be able to help these markets achieve those goals and ultimately, you know, help improve the lives of, of all these citizens and patients. Wow, that's uh, admirable and fantastic. I, I can't wait for the day to come where we're seeing that in action across multiple countries. Thank you so much for Hannah for taking the time to speak with us today and uh, look forward to speaking with you again sometime in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tony. And thank you so much for this opportunity. This was a great conversation. And yeah, I'm excited as well to see the outcomes of what we can achieve. And that's a wrap on this episode. Farhana's LinkedIn information is in the show notes. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Estrella using the spelling of my last name, or email at apac at digitalhealthtoday.com if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com or on our second home at healthpodcastnetwork.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team, including Dan Kendall and Eugene Boruhovich. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Yvonne Urich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.